0: Your love is rated X. That me get extra, extra, extra Okay, so this week on the podcast I'm thrilled to have Stefan Bogner with me. I had the pleasure of working with Stefan on a recent uh, campaign for um, the New York Dermatological Foundation. So it's the New York Dermatology Group Foundation, and it was all to do with raising awareness around albinism uh, in association with, with World Albinism Awareness Day. And what only was fantastic about the project was that we, you know, we brought some great people together, and Stefan will tell us about that. But it gave me a chance to work with him and see it up and close. Just um, what an amazing man he is as far as the impact that he's making and uh, I probably I don't say this very often but he's generally one of the good guys he is a beautiful soul uh, who is completely selfless and is very committed to leaving a meaningful legacy and helping people who are in such positions of hardship and the more I got to know Stefan and his story I was just blown away by what he'd experienced and How unjaded and positive he was and I wanted to bring him on because I think as I've talked about before uh, I think if you have designers talking about design all the time it can get monotonous and I'm really interested in talking to extraordinary people and trying to learn from them coping strategies so we can all kind of do a bit do a bit better in our own lives so um, Stefan thank you so much for coming on I really appreciate your time I know you're a very busy man
1: no pleasure Uh Thanks that, I do appreciate that. Uh, staring at the skies in, uh, on a cloudy day in Manhattan, actually, I was just listening to your words and you know, sometimes you think, am I really doing enough to have a positive impact? Um, when you get phone calls in the morning at 5 or 6 a.m. saying, you know, asking for help because the family has just been attacked because of the color of their skin, in northern Rwanda, or how can you invest in building more safe shelters, uh, or can you do work in Uganda, can you do, and you really ask yourself, what am I not doing, how can I get more people connected to help others? Um, so just when you're saying, you know, uh, talking about who I am as an individual, I, I'm taking a moment and just reflecting thinking am i really doing enough I mean, that's the big question are we all are, are we doing enough as a society well at least to help all those
0: i yeah it's probably probably not i usually like you say the, the phone calls you get it's, it's some are extraordinary but like i say for me it's always the client just going can you have this finished in sort of uh, <laughs> yesterday and it's like that's not really a big deal but i think as you said you some of the things that you told me about some of the people who reach out to you is extraordinary but to put it in some sort of context it would are you okay just to kind of just give us your origin story of kind of um what you've been involved in uh, leading up to now um because i mean it's good to just for people to understand because i think you know you're from what you've told me or alluded to you've had a pretty extraordinary life and i'd love to get some context that we can then when we discuss about um the colorful campaign and, and everything going forward i think it will help people
1: Absolutely, yeah, without a doubt, it's interesting, because I found myself now living in Manhattan. It's only about uh, under two years where I moved to Manhattan, but I started off with a very normal childhood in uh, Laval, Quebec, Canada. Um, but maybe it was different um, and helps understand where I am today, working in the humanitarian world, is my father was actually a political refugee from Hungary, um, you know, left everything behind uh, to new life, in Canada in 56, 57 after the Hungarian Revolution, and my mom was a foster child, where both her parents went to fight in the war for Canada um, in World War II. And both my mother and father had strong values and very in terms of, you know, helping others, being compassionate, um, the fight for human rights, and especially from my father's perspective coming you know, from, from Hungary, communist Hungary business, at that time, fighting for human rights, fighting for the rights, right, fighting for democracy. Um, he instilled these values uh, at a very early age. Um, and that, you know, that really started my journey. And working in places like you mentioned, in Iraq, Afghanistan, going to the border you know, between uh, Somalia, Kenya, uh, working in with the Khmer Rouge in uh, northwestern Cambodia and trying to rebuild disconnected, isolated communities, working with marginalized, vulnerable communities. Um, so, yeah, definitely, uh, you know, my upbringing, working, uh, or, you know, my mom, and my dad, definitely had a strong impact on me growing up and understanding at an early age human rights, human rights for all, yeah. not for a few, but for all. Which is quite interesting that today we act, we actually have to remind everyone that oh no it's human rights for all, inclusivity for all, healthcare for all. It's incredible that we do live in a society where you have to add in those words that, for all, right? Not just a few.
0: Yes, it's incredible. I, I think it's when you when you when you're part of the privileged few that's the trouble, isn't it? And it's kind of um i'm very fortunate enough to be part of that and it's you do kind of forget and you're because you're not privy to it of how um bleak it can be i mean when you got started how old were you when you first sort of because i've seen photos of you anything from sort of you know negotiating with quite heavy duty people with guns to hugging elephants it's quite extraordinary so when did this all when did you first find yourself going abroad and where did you pick and why was that
1: I think, again, my first journey really brought an understanding that there was a distinction between with or without, or the have and have not, was when I first went to, with my family to communist Hungary in, uh, in the 1970s. Um, and understanding, wow, there are differences. People lead very different lives in terms of we have a lot and they don't. That was my first glimpse into understanding the distinctions, the real. Uh, differences between um, socioeconomic poverty and really understanding it. But joining as a a young adult uh, was definitely in the late 1980s when I started to travel as a young adult to places like Bulgaria, Albania, Romania, uh, Russia, and really understanding um, deep differences um, on how people lived.
0: And what was the first um i guess meaningful where you could see that you could there must have been obviously as you're traveling around you're meeting lots of people who are having as you say sort of a fairly hard time um but what was the one that you first sort of that really got to you as in you kind of wanted to stay and help was there anywhere that you felt that you wouldn't you were needed or you could see an impact um straight away yeah
1: where was that absolutely yeah, I'll still remember that, that trip. It was Romania. It was Bucharest where um, we had a day off from our work. We were looking at environmental projects and um, we had a day off and we decided to go visit an orphanage uh, just to see if there's things that we can do. Um, and I'll never forget that day when we walked into a state-run orphanage and saw the people, saw the kids, um, saw teenagers the look of despair, the feeling of unhappiness, the, you know, I'll never forget this one teenager, a guy who, um, he didn't have socks. And you looked in his eye, and he, he was embarrassed. He had that look of, I don't want to be seen. And you you walk around the facility and you really understand or you really feel i felt that moment that you need to give back yeah you need to. you need to help you need to give anything that you possibly can to help others in need to build a more inclusive community to really make a difference that everyone should have the right to feel valued and to feel like they they belong to a community, not a not to a state run or orphanage, um, to feel like a valued member of society. That but that day when I went there, that opened my eyes. That was a real moment for me. That was a soft and stare moment for me.
0: And and I know that. Um... You obviously went to all the places all over Asia as well, and I think you know. I think I'm right in saying that you were involved um, in Brad and Angelina's charity out there. Is that correct? Because I, I think, and yeah. that would make sense. Did you? Uh, you know, I imagine you would have played a role. Is it one of their sons is from Cambodia? He was adopted, wasn't he? So. Yeah. So sure.
1: yeah. So sure. I spent a lot of time working uh, in Asia, in Southeast Asia, specifically Southeast Asia, and. Um, there, our work was multifunctional. We were doing, again, it was working on healthcare, rural healthcare, education, conservation, uh, gender empowerment. It was looking at all facets of, of humanity and our humanitarian work. They, it was incredible to see, again, to be able to work with a diverse group of um, stakeholders in, like I said, in education, healthcare, conservation, gender, microcredit to have a bigger impact in the communities.
0: And is it, I'd imagine it's quite, it must be quite a strange scenario because you've got the stakeholders who are extremely generous, sort of helping, and that's obviously vital, but there is kind of, two, you're, you're, you're sort of very good at negotiating sort of both worlds and not letting that kind of Jeju, in a way if you know the thing of all the affluent excess in one side and the sort of extreme poverty on the other you i've noticed you're very good at bringing that together so everyone everyone wins
1: yeah absolutely well i think living in those environments where you're not reading about those environments about those communities from a textbook Mm -hmm. or you're actually living in the community Experiencing poverty, really, and therefore experiencing it, you get to understand it. When you get to feel it, you get to understand it. You can approach donors, stakeholders, and really get them involved, get them actively engaged in making a difference. Uh, yeah. And with your experiences, you, you can, I hate to say it, but you can sell them the program to get them involved. Um, you know, it's almost like now living in Manhattan, where you're seeing you know all these shops trying to sell their, their products, you're trying to approach donors or stakeholders to buy into your humanitarian cause to save lives. Mm. So it, it, we, But it, it's really important, I think, for all of us to once in our life to really experience the life of another in those very difficult environments and really know what it feels like to go a day without water or two days without water or a couple of days without food or just a couple of boiled eggs. Yeah, Do you really understand that? And I think we really do. To connect ourselves, to connect ourselves to that problem, to connect ourselves to that community, you really need to feel what they are feeling, what they are seeing every single day. Touch it. You need to touch it to understand it.
0: And how long would you stay there typically? Was it, was it for weeks or longer, you know, in these communities sort of absorbing yeah.
1: that? Well, living in Southeast Asia, I spent over a decade uh, living in in those isolated rural communities. Um, and it wasn't easy. Uh, you know again, I was the outsider. when I first went in. I was the outsider. Um, I, everything from there's the, the cause obviously I was working in communities that had darker skin um, mm-hmm. and I was seen as the the ghost man or the white-skinned man or the foreigner, the foreigner. yeah um, and it it takes a while for again, these communities to really understand that you're there to build trust and you're there to work with them to help them. Um, but yeah, over a decade, I was in those communities and it took a while again to build that trust factor that you weren't just going in to do, oh, a little showcase in and out. What yeah. Some NGOs are doing. It's really having to work with them and live with them. They have to see that you're part of the community.
0: Yeah. And when was it when you first sort of saw um, the impact you were making? So you could make that tangible link between being able to draw on the resources, like you say, of, of the stakeholders to actually bring that back to the communities and really see an impact and kind of go, the, you know, cause that, th- this is my calling. This is absolutely what I should be doing.
1: You know, there are so many of those moments um, when we first built, for example, a water well. Uh, in a school and you're seeing fresh water or water being pumped out of a water well Mm. Um, or when you are building a maternity health center and you're seeing women coming to deliver birth um, in this now maternity ward and they're living, they're surviving and thriving. Um, You have so many of these wonderful moments um, that it just when you see that happen, when you experience that, when you when you see kids pumping water out of the water well during the recess um, and the excitement and the joy, it, it just inspires you to do more. It really does. I've got to be honest, it really does. It's an it, 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 it's an amazing feeling. Really, it's almost like you can you can touch light. You can feel the light of helping others. It's incredible yeah
0: i can imagine I, I kind of i was mentioning it um i think I, I was talking to to Anne or laura about this colorful project and it was going over the social media and i saw the video footage of when the billboards went up so just to fill people in we had this um enormous sort of global campaign uh, to celebrate world albinism awareness day and as part of the launch we were gifted these billboards um, to go up in Times Square and it featured uh, albino supermodels on them, shot by an amazing photographer. And we'll, we'll dig into this later. But when they saw those billboards go up, and I saw people like, were, were chatting, and then there was a real, there was a literal cheer of the, of the, as the billboards were seen. And I'd been working advertising for years, and I don't remember anyone ever cheering one of my ads like that. And I just was like, wow, this is actually. I get very, I'm very bad because you do the work, you present it, it goes up, and you move on to the next thing without properly enjoying it. But to see the the reaction of those people was, it was really touching. It was extraordinary. And you were saying that one of the mums came up to you and had tears in her eyes when that happened.
1: Absolutely, that was another one of those moments. Like I was mentioning, when you see children pumping water out of a water well, um, mm. that moment, Times Square was also an incredible opportunity for me to experience the joy of, of the community. So we used to say albinos, we do not uh, anymore. We say persons with albinism. Uh-huh. That's very important, that's very important that we actually start again using our, the right language, vocabulary to describe um, the community. So we always say persons with albinism. And you're right, um, seeing those billboards go live, and having a mother come to you and say, do you know what this means to us for our community to be represented on that billboard, mainstream media, for us to look at this billboard and we're not seen as, oh look, there's someone with a handicap, or look, there's a disabled child, but to look at these beautiful, inspirational, happy images of us our community and this mother was explained by her child and you can see the emotions pouring out and you just have to again stop and stare and say wow i, I never really thought about that and you're right everyone at that moment they were they were clapping and they were shouting and yelling happiness they yeah. were dancing they were singing they were shouting all into it was all about happiness. It, it was, was such an inclusive moment. It was, it was really sad. I'm sorry you missed it. No, I was going to say. It, I... was the, it, was, it was inspirational. It was inspirational.
0: Yeah, it was, the, it was the one moment which I just thought, oh, God. It, I, well, I've been on this for like three months. And, and that would have been, that was the bit I was like, oh, I really, really am gutted to miss this because you kind of, it would have been such a kind of wonderful moment to see that. It wasn't about, yeah, you can all lord me. I'm the guy who helped make this happen. It was more just like, I'm so pleased it means that much to you. And then there was the party after. It was just it really hit home for me. And obviously, because you've been working with the foundation for a while. So going back to obviously your work in Asia for 10 years. And then more recently, I suppose, you've done a lot of work, you know, involving albinism in Africa uh, for the NYD it's, Foundation. Yeah.
1: And that's been right. quite a
0: long time as well, hasn't That's been, how long has that been for...
1: Yeah, so I uh, so actually I do, I've been lit, I was living in Asia for oh, 14, 15 years, um, but from Asia I was traveling a lot to East Africa, um, so I really understood a lot about the problems, um, with the community in Africa. Never worked with the community before, but I understood it. Um, we started when I joined the foundation uh, almost two years ago. Um, the founder, the co-founder of NYBG, the New York Botanical Group, Dr. David Colbert it was again he wrote he was reading an article on albinism in africa and he was so shocked that on a sunday morning he contacted me and says is this really happening and my it was a one-word answer yes text me yes it is um can we do something and it was yes we can and that was in november 2017 that's when we when he first contacted when he first read the article in new york times and um, and then we started the process of the program uh, reached out to my community members without my different stakeholders I built over the years working uh, in uh, development and we started a program in north northern Rwanda uh, and working with kids and young adults and getting them back to school because I don't think people realize um, in the West that a lot of these kids with albinism are bullied uh, let's say extremely bullied uh, excessive or extremely discriminated against um, and to the point also they're hunted. I mean, that's, that is a reality. It's bad. like I was saying, just a couple of weeks ago, we had one of our project leaders um, who was sponsoring to go to the university contacted me and saying, we have a problem. This family um, was attacked. Neighbors had, had contacted some body poachers so that, obviously, they can generate some income. And here we are, 2019, where you're being contacted to help put these kids in a safe house or shelter so they won't be poached for their skin, for their bones, because they're seen as magical creatures um, by, by witch doctors. That's the reality, that's their reality. And we are so disconnected that we can't even imagine that it's happening but it, it really is um happening today 2019.
0: yeah it's extraordinary some of the text messages i remember you, you told me that that horrific story about the guy who they invited to a party and he thought it was his birthday and they and it wasn't it was just like a slaughter party and they murdered him deliberately Correct. for his limbs it, it just horrifically I think when it's that thing of you you know bullying is horrific but when you're like you said you're you're chased and hunted and murdered for your limbs and it's just you know old-fashioned point of view and it's nothing to do with that I mean it's just I've learned so much working on this this project about albinism and how as you say it's kind of there it's not that you have no color you have a specific color and that was the part of the campaign we wanted to address but it's kind of um, it was truly eye-opening to see kind of both sides of that world, and some of those stories are just devastating. So it's it's nice to, to know that this this campaign could really make a difference.
1: You know, it's really interesting, Fab, because again, this this is why colorful is actually so important. It's to show that this community, persons person with albinos, have a wish life full of color. It, again, if we if they're given that opportunity, right? If they're actually yeah. given the opportunity to. To go to school, to have a normal childhood, to access healthcare, um, to be provided a job if they are qualified. So it's really to show all of us how they have, again, uh, uh, or again, I say, if they're given the opportunity, a, a wonderful life. Um, Deandra Forrest, one of our global ambassadors, she's a mother, she's an activist. Yeah, she's a model. Uh, another one, Stephen Thompson, he's a teacher. You know, and, and yes, he's a model. And he's a pianist. So yeah. it's time to show the world not only their disabilities, but show them who they are as a person. And I say this because, you know, in the West, there has been about, since, I think since 1960, there are almost 70 films depicting persons person with albinism as evil albinos. So popular culture in the West is not portraying them as magical creatures and therefore they must be killed or hunted. We're portraying them negatively. We're portraying them as, you know, I mean, recently you can see in the Da Vinci Code, the Matrix, um, they are seen as really evil people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, it's re- and so it's really important for us to So hold on, take a break. You need to start looking at the other side. You need to start looking at that person as as a mother, as a father, as a parent, as a grandmother, as a teacher, as a musician, as an athlete.
0: Yes, well, that was kind of the thing. Go on, sorry.
1: No, and I think you're right. This is what the theme of colorful, you know, Mm -hmm. my album is my color. Own it. Be respected. Stand, Stand tall. Stand strong. We see you, and it's reframing how the world sees albinism.
0: Well, this is exactly it. Because that was the, I mean, to just give a bit of context to this campaign. So I first met Stefan uh, back in February. I, I'd, I'd gone over to New York to do some work for NYDG. And again, we were running this campaign on Times Square. And we were chatting and we were sort of talking about, well, you know, the danger of Times Square is it's, there's so much digital noise that, you know, if you run something conventional or familiar, you might get drowned out. And as we were kind of digging in and there, you know, Stefan was explaining the, the, what the foundation is actually doing. It made all of us kind of realize in the room that well, if if Dove have their self-esteem project, MIDG has an actual proper foundation charity that is dedicated to helping people with skin problems, you know, to also fixing skin cancer and, and lots of other things. But it was this thing of like we're not even talking about it so this what we all came up with in was this campaign and it was to do with and i and i was working on and have to give a few shouts out of the, the sort of creative talent we're able to pull in so there was naz Nazli, who i was who's a dear friend who i've worked with at Lea Burnett years ago who's just moved to san francisco he was helping me with the sort of campaign idea and what we came up with was it was as stefan said it was like that thing of we had to reframe the way people looked at people with albinism so instead of it being negative and their sort of life was blighted. It was actually, you know, these people are able to live full and happy lives. And so the campaign idea was colourful instead of colourless. And we wanted to showcase people actually, if you give them the opportunity, they're equally, they can make an equally big and meaningful contribution to society and culture. And we were lucky enough to get, and it really is a who's who. So we had Deandra Forrest, as you said, who's who's an albano supermodel and Stephen Thompson and uh, Justin, who's not, they're all models and rappers and super talented. And then we had uh, a Pulitzer Prize winning Nat Geo photographer, Stephanie Sinclair, who was phenomenal. I mean, the, I mean, her, her photos were breathtaking uh, and she was good enough to get involved because she's got two albino children, hasn't she?
1: So again, yes, yeah, she has two children with albinism. I'm going to correct you on that one. Yes, oh, yeah. she has two children yes. with albinism. She, she, and she adopted them from China. Where again, um, many kids with albinism in China are put in state orphanages. Yeah. I, mean, I just heard recently a story how you know it was a child that was left on the footsteps of a police station, a nameless old child. Um, and today, that child is living in the Netherlands. Um, I think I think she's actually doing some modeling. But this is how they're seen. It's, um, again in, in China they are not. Persecutor, they're not hunted, but they are ostracized. Yeah. They are just pushed aside. They are excluded.
0: Yes, and that's what we wanted to do, wasn't it? We wanted to say, look, you know, you see someone without color, but that's 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 an old-fashioned judgment. We want you to look again and readdress how you perceive these people. Um, and we also had Anne O'Malley involved, who was fantastic on the creative side of things. And we came up with this idea of showcasing basically these, these beautiful people looking stunning and putting some sort of context around kind of what they'd achieved by using a colour swatch device which was to say there is a colour here it's not they're not without colour and this was all launched on in Times Square on World Albinism Awareness Day and while I'm here I'll I'll also thank Sammy and Daryl for doing work trying to get all the creative together because that was chaotic at times as we know Stefan trying to make sure we hit all the deadlines but Damien oh, yeah. <laughs> the twins, you've got to thank them for the, their kind donation. But what's exciting was for me, this was kind of overseeing this big campaign and what you've planned to do, because we've already, you know, we're getting good press. We've really hit a big splash here with this big launch. There was a big party and I'll be sharing a lot of this content now because now it's out there. But I've, I've heard rumors that you've been talking to people at Sesame street and Crayola about yeah. pushing this further. And then there's, we're going to be launching in Cape Town and Hong Kong. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So now we're again. This we want to go around the world, right? We want to change behavior around the world. So you really have to customize uh, your campaign for the region. Yeah. So we started off in New York City because this is where the United Nations, and we want to launch it with the United Nations. We want to partner with the UN. Uh, it's important that we launch it here. Yeah. Um, so once we so it's launched here. We're gonna jump to Los Angeles. From Los Angeles, we're gonna jump to Hong Kong. We're already in discussions with the team in Hong Kong. From Hong Kong, we're gonna jump to Africa, in South Africa, where you have Pandora Hopa. Again, one of the leading influencers um, and an advocate for albinism. And then we're gonna jump to our own project site in Rwanda. After that, Africa, we're gonna jump to Europe. After Europe, we go to the Americas, South America, and then we end it where we started in New York City. Um, So we're going to do a whole around the world, 365 day campaign uh, to really, again, to to focus on the human rights um, and not just, and that's what's really important. Also, you know, that we're trying not to only celebrate on, you know, International Day or or Albinism Day. We want to reach beyond that. You know, there's an International Day of Happiness. There's a Human Rights Day. There is a uh, International Parent Day. We There's an International Sport and Human Development Day. We want to target all these important days and show the world, communities across the world, that it's one community, it's one human race, uh, respect our differences, and be inclusive. Do not exclude. Yes. Be inclusive. And no. real inclusivity. Not an in illusions. I remember a few years ago when I was talking about inclusivity at Columbia University, and I always made sure, you know, to remind our, our students say, is it an illusion or is it real inclusion? And that's really important because many of us will say, oh yes, I, I, I am very inclusive. Really? You got to think about it because we do all, we do have blind spots, right? We do. So it's really important for us to say, okay, um, this is not Walt Disney. We need to be really inclusive and we need to think about it. We sometimes, because we tend to associate with our own crowd, yeah. So it's really important, therefore, to uh, stop, reflect. Am I really being authentically inclusive?
0: And obviously, this is a hugely ambitious project. It's going to take a lot of sort of um, power and energy and energy of enthusiasm. And I have to ask because obviously, the, the, one of the reasons I want to get people like yourself on is because you've had extraordinary lives. How do you stay so positive, Stefan? Cause you were kind of holding us all together because this whole campaign was quite disparate everyone was donating their time um, and you yeah. were kind of the glue that kept us all aligned and believing in the vision. How do you keep yourself you know motivated and inspired and positive?
1: You know I'll be honest um, living and working in these communities has, has definitely inspired me and in showing you know what when when you have, I'll never forget again, when you have these moments when you have, you know, a family um, bringing their sick child to a health center and the child dies in your arms so there's nothing you can do, and you still see how the, the community comes together to help each other through those moments, um, it just inspires you to want to help and to do more. And, and you, wherever you are, you have sometimes you have extremely dark walls of gloom and doom and you i always look for the cracks of happiness the cracks of light through all the doll the walls of gloom and doom and you can really when you find that crack of happiness you just focus on that and you just break it open and yeah you need it you need be resilience and you need to chip at it and sometimes you you're not given anything but a little uh tweezer and you're you're tapping it with a tweezer. Uh, it might take you a year, two years, but you're persistent, you're resilient. Um, and that keeps me going, again, and working with some really inspirational people. I mean, today, you know, I'm speaking to you, but I have stood on the shoulders of many, many local heroes and inspiration characters, many, um, who have always inspired me to move on to do and to do more. And how do
0: you, you know, that obviously, like you said, it's clinging on to that sliver of hope. But how do you, mm. how did you develop such resilience? Because I think because this is this is an interesting part of me because me, the mental side of things is, is hugely important and it's it's crucial to be affected by what you're seeing because it allows you to really embrace it and experience it and it and it, it will change you and, and it will determine and give you the fuel to to make you know to pass on that impact and make a difference. But it can be exhausting and it can be damaging if you take on too much of this. So how do you stay, how do you deal with that resilience to keep, when you see all around you, this, you know, things which aren't positive always, how do you develop your resilience?
1: You know, I have to say, um, I'll never forget when I was in Iraq and um, in 2003 and 2004, and where you had moments where you just didn't know what was going to happen. And I remember being in a cage, uh, with hoods uh, and uh, lions, and, <laughs> and so you in a cage? He, yeah, he were in a cage. Yeah, you were. He had built a concrete cage um, shelter for his for his uh, captive lions, and I remember that hearing the explosions outside and the gunfire. And I, crazy I am, I started do push-ups. I started to do push-ups and started to focus on my, my physical health, something that I was able to control at the moment and tried to block out everything around me and controlled my heartbeat, controlled my breathing. Um, and even, again, jumping to Cambodia or to Iki when I was in Ethiopia, putting on my running shoes and going for either power walks or, or jogging. Um, it also happened in Iraq. The, some of the soldier guys were helping me build. They put sandbags around the courtyard so I can go jogging uh, and not get attacked or (laughs) sniper-free moments. Physical well-being has has always been important uh, part of my life, Um, always. Uh, And how does that You You know, I'll never forget my father um, growing up when I was, I remember studying at McGill University in Montreal and preparing for an exam and being completely stressed and my dad, and I'd be at the kitchen table midnight, <laughs> and my dad would wake up and come to see me, and he said, "Son, go for a run." Those exact words: "Son, go for a run." And I was very fortunate to live in a very small community um, outside of Montreal, and I did. And I put on my running shoes, and after midnight, you see this crazy guy, university student jogging. And it gave me the time to reflect, to control my breathing, control my own stress. So physical fitness has, has always been part of me and has guided me through these very difficult times, um, including you know, myself when I've been injured um, or went through some my where you close the door of the health center and I'm doing push-ups or sit-ups because I was still physically able to do it. But it what you know creating a, a safe space in your mind where you can't physically use your body, but creating these mental safe spaces in your mind that you fill it with wonderful imagery, for me it's always been nature. Um, yeah. so thinking of you know thinking of parks and recreational spaces or water that has helped me a lot to really go into that mental health space. And you take those moments to block everything out, all the distractions. I'm in New York City, where I mean, where I'm seeing more concrete and more that urban jungle, where it's important for me to walk to the Hudson River and to see the river and to surround myself with trees and healthy green spaces. I've never been in a city where I'm here, where I see so much concrete and so you know, the sirens or honking, whether it's an Uber or a Lyft or first responders, ambulance, police angry people and um, I do create that mental space in my mind and I'll go seek it you know and nature has always been part of me
0: and so that's like you said it's a very very strong mental game there and like you say yeah. exercise quietens the mind and gives you time for reflection
1: absolutely it's, I think it's really important I think cities need I think designers uh, urban designers uh, need to make sure that we build more healthy green spaces in these communities, give people the chance to unwind, give the people the chance to disconnect from this modern world where we can just ground ourselves in nature. Um, and that's why I think you know it's so important to work with designers and urban specialists to redesign these really disconnected communities very, very important. I mean, I feel, I feel it here. I feel the stress in the city, this aggressiveness. Um, people say, oh, it's New York. It's like, well, actually, that's not healthy human development to have this sort of aggressiveness. You say, well, it's New York. They're very assertive. Actually, if I was to listen to honking of a horn 10 hours a day or seeing this concrete jungle, with this concrete 10 hours a day, um, yeah i would also you know be aggressive new york style which i don't believe the south is yeah it's very angular
0: you know i noticed that yeah. it's kind of like quite harsh you need that greenery um is so important i think as you say that to have that just break up and feel remember nature is really really it's really good for the soul and i think um, oh my guess, absolutely it's, it's so interesting to hear you kind of talk about the virtues of of exercise and helping you deal and being able to lock away the negatives and find that positive space. From another point of view, I know that a lot of uh, people in in my community, they, they certainly deal with they lack confidence. You know, it's things like imposter syndrome and, and all that. How do you handle criticism? And, you know, when, when, when things are where where perhaps you're lacking confidence, what can you do to, to offset the criticism or perhaps talk yourself into finding more conflict because I know you've you've seen tremendous adversity and you've seen other people overcome it and these are small things but I wanted to get you on so you could share those life lessons about how you deal with hardship so what well, first ones would be how would you deal with handling criticism
1: well you know again you always I always uh, if the person is not shouting at me or yelling at me um, I'll sit and listen and where they I try to understand now you know where are they coming from, why are they criticizing me? And I really have that, I take the time to think, what did I do? How did I do it? How did I deliver a message? Um, so I really take that moment. Like I said, depends. If they are yelling and screaming, then I'll, I'll try again to go right away into my safe space um, and to protect, you know, again, to protect myself. I'm, I'm gonna defend myself because that is, a, that is an attack. Yeah, um, and, and I, and I just mental try to. So, yeah, so it's kind
0: of mentally, you just sort of switch off and just talk about so, it. So, do you meditate and stuff like that? I imagine because head control is yeah.
1: yeah, again, in meditation, I mean, um, you know, when I run, I put myself at the call into a runner zone where I just focus and, and listen to my breathing, my heartbeat, things like that. But if I'm again, if I'm just someone who's just criticizing me, I. Again, in a way, I think, well, where are they coming from and why, why are they criticizing me? And again, I just, I, I take that moment to reflect. You know, I really have to think about it. Say, oh, well, actually, um, I could have done something differently. Uh, I could have been more inclusive or they, so I really do. Now I do take the time to really, I don't shut them out. I, I try to, I really try to actively listen to them to hear their comments and. Is it to make sure that they're criticizing me because they're trying to do something better and stronger and healthier, and they're just really upset at that moment and they just don't know how to deliver a message to me? Possibly. Um, but if the end goal and the outcome is we're, we're all trying to build a healthier, inclusive community or trying to build a stronger project or trying to do better, great. You know, then I'll, after after they criticize me, most of the time I'll you know it depends how they do it. I'll sit down to you know the ways that we can deliver that message. Mm. <laughs> um, absolutely, absolutely. And, and what I do actively, I, I listen.
0: Yes, no, I think that's very good. Like you say, it's the best approach. Ideally, is to try and deconstruct it and kind of go. Okay, so the, the, is there a grain of truth here, and what's their sort of intentions? You know, are they try, Are they just trying to get a rise out of me? Do they have my best intentions at heart? And kind of disconnect sometimes. <laughs>
1: um absolutely and you
0: can, sorry go ahead They just say okay keep going because yeah because it was always I, th- I find that there's always a pang of it's never nice to be criticized and i think that's a human reaction you know when you receive a negative comment and we're wired for danger um but i think it's also important to kind of be able to mentally put that beyond you or see the silver lining in order just to move past it if you know what i mean
1: no again because i mean you have to ask yourself are they devaluing me are they trying to exclude me think i don't belong and therefore they're criticizing me i mean you you where they're coming from um mm. so that's very important to, to actively actively listen to someone if they're able to deliver the message of the in a way that you can actually listen to them right
0: yeah uh, and segueing is that what would you say is maybe have some of the best advice you've ever received from someone
1: you know everyone uh, it's interesting um, working in in development so I don't mean business in human development working you know in these communities whether it was Ethiopia or Uganda or Cambodia um, I mean I would work with new development practitioners coming from, from the University or from the u k Oxford I, I was coaching and mentoring a lot of these students uh, or young internists and There are days when poverty is overwhelming, that, you know, the health issues or the education, I mean, it's just some days it's overwhelming. And when you're dealing with 10,000, 15,000, 40,000 villagers all trying to get something from you, um, whether it's, it's funding to build that school, or funding to build a health center, or funding to build a road so that they can access the market, or so they can actually get to the health center and deliver their, their deliver a child, deliver a baby. Mm. Um, there are moments it's, it's difficult, and I always say to the team, "Listen, every morning wake up and take your, your vitamin C package." And they were like, "What?" Um, yeah, the vitamin C has compassion. It has courage, it has collective responsibility um, to want to help others. Because like I was saying, there are some days you, you don't have the courage to, to fight for others anymore. You're just exhausted, yeah. uh, or you, can't, you don't have the compassion. Um, but I always say, you know, actually do take your vitamin C and the commitment. So I always say those are the four C's, right? Compassion, commitment, um, community responsibility. Um, what was the fourth one? I just forgetting myself. Uh, the courage. Yes. The courage to continue. The courage to fight for others. Even in those difficult times, those difficult spaces, take your vitamin C.
0: And um, as far as like, so if you are offering advice to freelancers or people who are kind to they're either working somewhere they don't like or they want to branch out on their own because obviously you've you've been very entrepreneurial because you've always you know been working for your own and and following your heart and helping people and and that is a huge amount of bravery because there's a lot of unknown and like I said if you're dealing with tigers in cages and bullets Mm. (laughs) these are very different to like just annoying clients and stuff like that but I think it's the thing of what's your advice to people who kind of feel unfulfilled in what they're doing and they want to reach out and perhaps they lack the confidence or they're worried about what other other people might think how would you tell them to kind of push past that and live a more sort of fulfilling purposeful sort of life and career
1: listen there are so many ngos out there humanitarian organizations out there just pick up the phone or today use your computer use your smartphone and contact them ask them how do how do i volunteer how do I volunteer for a year? I mean, sometimes it's not possible because economic, uh, you know, again, they need that they can't do it, but ask how can you actively volunteer? Believe me, there are so many hotspots in terms of, you know, economic poverty issues around the world. You can find a place where you can help. Yeah. Um, you can, if you, have the, if you have the chance, go to that country, go to that village, go to that community and actively participate, make a difference. If you can't, be one of be a digital ambassador where do host or hold a fundraising event at your home um, where invite some of your friends and donate the funds to a certain charity so you can become a digital ambassador if you can't be a field ambassador going to that site help out um do it from your home but you can
0: find ways to help and I think that's interesting because like you say it's kind of it's almost the perspective of seeing how to you know it's what the real world is going through, what the majority of the real world is going through. And as you said in the beginning, it's something very powerful about when you're connecting with these people and you get to sort of, it really shakes you into going, I'm extremely lucky and privileged. And there's that beautiful thing of, you can give back and you can make people's lives better and you can see that impact, which is tremendously fulfilling. But I think the confidence and putting everything in perspective, it makes it much easier to overcome any kind of things that you're dealing with in your day-to-day when you go you know like you said if you spend time like me spend time working on this campaign uh you become very easy to kind of dismiss unhelpful criticism or if you're going well should i do this i'm not quite sure i'm a bit angry you just go do you know what i'm in such a lucky position what's the worst that could happen i'm just going to get on with it and i think that's massively important like you say because you can feel good about volunteering but i think the flip side for for the person is what i'm trying to say is it gives you a sense of perspective on your current situation and your problems, which should give you the confidence to sort of barge past them because they're not as big as you think.
1: I completely agree with you. You know, like that, you've been working with on this campaign now. It's like, one day i hope you join me on trip to Rwanda, you know, and to actually see the community, work with the community, dance with the community, sing with the community, be part of the community. You, you've helped design this international global campaign You've heard their story. Now come with me and feel their stories.
0: Yes, because the stories are astonishingly powerful. I think, like I said, that was, and again, that was kind of the thing when you're doing it and it's, and it's exhausting, um, but that's the, re, that's the fuel you need to keep pushing forward because you realize that not only am I helping people, but actually I'm leaving. It's, it's a really meaning, this is really important. And a lot of the other work, I certainly know now coming off the back end of it, I'm not phased by anything as far as chaotic deadlines or just doing lots of work. It's like this is just a breeze compared to some of the stuff we've had to deal with.
1: Yeah, absolutely I completely agree. And, you know, sometimes I know one of our youth leaders contacts me and he she says something very important. He goes, You know what's really important to me? Stefan goes, knowing that you care. Oof. Just those were Jaden's words. Yeah. Just call, he uses WhatsApp and calls me and says, just knowing that you care makes my day. Which is amazing. And he, right, I mean, really seriously, something so simple. Knowing that I care, of course I care. And it just shows because he just wants to feel valued. that he knows that, that we belong together, that, that sense of, powerful sense of belonging, that I'm not excluding him that I'm thinking about him, those are powerful. I mean, even for our own community, even for people living in the West, you know, go visit some senior citizen's home where, you know, our own our own grandmothers and grandfathers, you know, our old teachers are in homes where they completely feel excluded and feel lonely. Yeah. Um, and we don't take the time to really go and visit them and spend time with them and make them still feel like valued human
0: like valued human think so there's a
1: lot more that there's a lot more that we can do in our own community and of course there's a lot more you can do uh for those communities that are really suffering and are marginalized and are vulnerable there's a lot we can do together
0: and what's next for you then Stefan? so I'd, i'd love to know what your plans are over the next sort of in the immediate future and then a little bit of wisdom to leave us with
1: well, again, so this campaign, like I mentioned, our, our colorful, my albums and my color campaign is a global campaign. Um, so we are right now in discussion, uh, phase two, working again with people like Sean Ross, Connie Chu, um, on how we're going to design and deliver this campaign for Los Angeles and then jumping over to Hong Kong. Because as you know, there are many stakeholders, there are designers there. You know, we have to look at all these stakeholders coming together to make sure that we're customizing this campaign for the region. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really important. So right now, this can be a big focus for the foundation. At the same time, you know, we have our field projects. So we're doing the advocacy, there's all the advocacy. But at the same time, we're providing scholarships for these kids and making sure these kids are re-enrolling themselves in the school and are going to graduate. <laughs> you know, so there's a lot of there's a lot of at the same time going on with our field projects. Yeah. Um, so yes. Yeah, so the humanitarian work, our colorful campaign, the advocacy, and our field projects. Is taking a lot of our time, which is, again, what I want to do.
0: Yeah. And any a bit now. of um, wisdom that you'd like to leave us with? What's, you know, something that you might have been said or you've experienced or that, you know, has something you remember fondly or you hark back on in tough times?
1: You know, this whole campaign on inclusivity is re- really, again, has made me think about my own values, and am I really being inclusive? And I think sometimes you, let's flip it, that and say, think of the word exclusion. Have you ever felt excluded? Have you ever been ghosted or um, given a cold shoulder, pushed aside? I have, I have. And how did that make you feel? Like, how did that make you feel to be excluded? this whole campaign on on inclusivity has made me really think about my own blind spots. And am I really inviting everyone in, you know, to these healthy spaces, to these spaces? Yeah. So for for myself, I've been doing, like I said, humanitarian work for 20 years. And this campaign also has opened up my eyes. And am I, ensuring making sure that everyone has equal access to all opportunities it really has um, the the sense of belonging the sense of belonging and feel valued part of humanity which we are
0: i think that's really important that's a lovely way to sort of tail it off because i think um I know the biggest thing with freelancers, they're isolated because they live through their phones digitally, they don't see enough people, and that's a real issue. So it's this thing of actually, you know, reaching out to people who are often isolated or just meeting up or meeting for a coffee or calling someone or going to visit your gran or further afield, is there anyone I can help? Can I teach? Can I mentor? Can I donate my time, my expertise? I think all these are really important, worthwhile things that although although not like monetary-wise, they're, they're, you know, they're not financially rewarding, but I think emotionally and spiritually, they're extremely rewarding. And it's a great thing to kind of feel good and balance kind of the everyday and put it into perspective.
1: If everyone can just spend, imagine if everyone, everyone spends ten fifteen 15 minutes, even five minutes to think about, okay, what have I done today to make someone feel included? Yeah. To make them feel inclusive, to make them feel like they belong to my community. What have I done today? Pick up the phone. Um, you say go see your grandmother. Go yeah. go see if you if you can volunteer in a in a community health center or in a community center. Um, actively participate and try to identify in your own in your own community who are the most vulnerable and marginalized groups in your own community, in your own city, in your own town, and what can you do to make a difference, even if it's one person. Yeah. What, where are the cracks of happiness in your wall, and how can you be more inclusive? Um, ask yourself that question. Yeah. Don't put your iPhone down for a moment. You know, put your iPhone, put your tablet. Um, stop shopping. Just take that moment. Imagine everyone, everyone do that.
0: I think, yeah, no, uh, I think the impact would be profound. I think it's important to, like you yeah. said, it, it's 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 a generous act, but I think you benefit. We both parties benefit hugely from that. And so um, if people want to follow your campaign as you travel around the world, spreading awareness of albinism, what's the best way for them to kind of keep in touch and maybe even offer to donate their time or their services as a digital ambassador?
1: Absolutely. Well, again, so now uh, with your help, we created a new microsite. So you just go to uh, org number one. Yeah, um, and that's
0: N-Y-D-C-O-L-O-R dot org, isn't it? Because it's colourful and it's the American spelling. So just to clarify that.
1: Correct, yes. Or you can follow us on Instagram. You can follow us on NYDG underscore foundation. Um, again, you can follow us. and We're giving regular updates on our IG, social media. But definitely contact us. Participate. Actively participate. There are so many ways you can get involved. So many ways. Contact us and find out. Yeah. I think
0: that's absolutely it. Well, thank you very much, Stefan. I really, really appreciate it. Um, it's been eye-opening. I've, I've learned a lot again talking to you. It's always, it's always a pleasure. All I can say is thank you so much for your time. And um, I'll be following along and probably involved in this campaign. So I'm excited uh, for phase two.
1: Likewise, that. And you know, you'll not be tapping into your skill set without a doubt. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm looking forward to working in phase two and phase three and phase four with you. <laughs> Fantastic. I look forward to it. <laughs> okay, thanks again. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers.
0: Bye.
1: Bye. Let
0: me get
1: extra. Extra. It's Monday.